man who went to the doctor, and he was, um, he was in, in great physical pain. And he said to the doctor, doctor, I feel pain all over. There was not a part of his body where he was not feeling pain. And so the doctor said, well, well, man, that's very unusual. He said, why don't you touch your shoulder? And the man touched his shoulder, and he screamed out in pain, ah! The doctor said, well, touch your leg. And he touched his leg, and he was grimacing. And the doctor said, well, well, touch your forehead. And the man was in obvious physical pain. And the doctor said, man, this is incredible. I've never seen anything like this before in my life. Uh, why don't we try one more thing? Why don't you touch your toes? And the man touched his toes, and he just screamed out in pain. And so the doctor examined him, and the man told the doctor, he said, doctor, I'm telling you, everywhere I touch, I hurt. The doctor said, no wonder, you've got a dislocated finger. <laughs> Isn't that how it is sometimes in life, though? We experience pain in every area of our lives. We, 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 we experience in this relationship, that relationship, this situation, at work, at home, every part of life feels painful. But if we were to take a careful assessment at what is happening in our lives, we would notice that all of the pain traces back to one area of pain in our lives, and it's causing pain in all the others. You know what I'm talking about? Well, it's that area of pain in our lives that I want to talk about today, that part that is causing pain everywhere. Pain has tremendous power in our lives. It has tremendous power for good. It can form us into strong, resilient, hopeful people who, who believe in, in the goodness of God and have hope for the future, living hope, strong, persevering. It can make us great. But pain also has the ability to cause our lives to fold in on itself and to lead us into a pit of despair. Tremendous power in our lives. We see this with pain. When I come to um, pain spots in my own life, one of the things that tends to happen for me is that that area of pain becomes the focus of my life. Um, it becomes the focus of my relationship with God. I, I'll be wrestling with that pain, and, and I will be pr all my prayers are now just about that area of pain in my life. I don't know if you have found that. And if you're like me, you have one main prayer about pain, and that is that the pain would go away. That is our prayer. But sometimes we've prayed, and we've prayed, and we've prayed, and God does not take the pain away. Sometimes the pain gets worse. And so today we're going to be taking a look at a song. Um, it's a song um, that a man wrote out of his experience of pain. And what we're going to see in this psalm is that he wrestles with pain in all the ways we do, but he moves through it to a place of peace. And we're going to gain some principles for how we can take the pain in our own lives and get to a place of true peace and gratitude. The psalm we're going to look at today is Psalm 77. The man's name is Asaph. That's his, his name. And he's writing a song out of his pain. And here is how it starts. You can open up your Bibles there, Psalm 77. Um, we're also going to have the verses on the screen. So here's the first verse of Psalm 77. He says, I cry out to God. Yes, I shout. Oh, that God would listen to me. 
When I was in deep trouble, I searched for the Lord. All night long I prayed, with hands lifted toward heaven, but my soul was not comforted. One of the first things we see when we take a look at this psalm is that God encourages us to cry out to Him. Our prayers do not need to be these little quiet things with God. He's okay. He can take our crying out to Him from the depths of our pain. It is even a healthy thing that we are encouraged to do in the Scriptures, to be honest with God about how much it hurts and to cry out to Him in the midst of our pain. And so I want to encourage you. You do, not, you, you do not have to be afraid that God's not okay with that. You can take the reality of your pain straight to Him, and He will hear it. And so pain, you know, crying out to God is good. Crying out to God can also bring us comfort. You ever cried out to God and you just felt the presence of God come and meet you there in the midst of your pain, at your pain? He does. And so when, when we talk about crying out to God, we, we, want to, we want to be open to that because God, when God's presence comes in, He can transform everything. You know, a hurricane can blow 100 to 200 miles per hour, and, and it's, it, but because it moves in a circle, um, the middle of the hurricane is not very windy, and they call that the eye of the storm. And sometimes when you are going through a painful situation, you will be right in the middle of the storm, um, but for a moment, when the presence of God comes into your life, it's like being in the eye of the storm. For a brief moment, things are twirling around you. There's, there's mess and confusion and frustration all around you, but for a brief moment, the presence of God gives you peace like the eye of the storm. And it is a gift that God gives us. He is available to bring that peace and that comfort into our lives when we are in the midst of pain. But sometimes we have asked, we've asked Him to help us, and sometimes God does not take the pain away. And Asaph, he's in the middle of his prayer, and one thing that we notice in his prayer is he says, my soul was not comforted. Did you notice that? Sometimes we pray and we don't find comfort. We say, you know, why? Well, here's an interesting thing. The, the verse there, it's literally, if you go back to Hebrew, it's literally, my soul refused to be comforted. You see the difference there? My soul refused to be comforted. And sometimes when we're going through pain, our soul is refusing to be comforted. And you know what? I don't know if that's healthy or not, but you know what? Sometimes we're there, right? Sometimes we don't want comfort. We want God to take the pain away. But sometimes He doesn't. We've been praying day after day, and He still hasn't taken the pain away. And it's in those moments that we begin to question why. You ever questioned why? Well, Asaph did too. Take a look at this. Here's what he says. He says, I think of the good old days, long since ended, when my nights were filled with joyful songs. I searched my soul and ponder the difference now. Has the Lord rejected me forever? Will He never again be kind to me? And so Asaph is, is just wrestling with the pain, wrestling with the question, why hasn't he taken it away? I've cried out to him over and over again. He's got these questions swirling in his mind. Has, has, God, has God forgotten about me? He's, well, he's got questions like this. He says, have his promises permanently failed? Has God forgotten to be gracious 
as he slammed the door on his compassion. Have you ever been there before in the midst of your pain and just felt like, what is going on here, God? I believe in a God that is good. Where is he? Well, one of the things we learn from Asaph's psalm is it's okay to question God. You'll run into some people who will say, oh, you should never question God, never question God. And I think what those people are trying to say to us is that you should never accuse God. Um, because, you know, sometimes we're questioning God, and it's more like, why is God doing this? I can't believe, you know, it's, it's kind of an accusatory thing. Do you know what I'm talking about? I can't believe God let this happen in my life, as if he should be ashamed of himself. And it's not right to accuse God. That's not our place. But it's okay to question him, to ask why. Lots of people throughout the Psalms, throughout our Bibles, have questioned, why, God? Have you let this happen to me? And so, I just want to offer that to you. That is okay. It's understandable to question God. But I want to caution you against something. Sometimes when we are dying to know why, we are wrestling with that question why, we can get so wrapped up in it that we begin to insist on an answer to that question. And I want to caution you against insisting on getting an answer to that question uh, why is God letting this happen to me? Because often when we are insisting on an answer, we're grasping for an answer, trying to find any answer for why this has happened in our lives, what we end up doing is we draw the wrong conclusions. Sometimes we draw the wrong conclusions. And I just want to caution you against this because when we draw the wrong conclusions in our lives, it can really mess up our lives big time. It's really a dangerous, it's really a, uh, it, can, it can mess them up bad. Uh, I was once talking to this woman who was in a nursing home. She was probably, I don't know, 80s, 90s, and she had just gone through a surgery and uh, was, was experiencing a lot of pain with the recovery of that surgery. And so we were, we were sitting down and talking about that and her life, and she said something really interesting to me. I'll never forget it. Um, we were talking, and she said, you know, Ben, sometimes I wonder if the pain I'm experiencing right now, the pain I've experienced in my life is a punishment from God for, from when I was a little girl. And I said, well, what, what happened when you were a little girl? What, tell me about it. She said, well, you see, when I was a little girl, uh, my, my dad was an alcoholic, and he did a lot of things that are wrong. And I, I kept expecting her to go on and say, you know, like, I rejected my dad, I killed my dad, I, 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 don't, know, I don't know, but I, I kept expecting her to go on, but that was it. And she said, I, I wonder sometimes if God is maybe angry with me because my dad was an alcoholic, that his sins, you know, made God angry with her. And I, and I was surprised, and I, I, said, I said, no, each person bears the guilt for their own sins before God. And we believe, when we believe in Jesus, when we receive him into our lives, he offers us a brand new life with the forgiveness of all of our past, anything we've ever done wrong. And so you can know that you are accepted by God on the basis of your faith in him, in your relationship with Jesus. And we talked about that, and we had to kind of go over it a bit. And a burden was lifted from her heart that day. But, you know, as I thought about it, I thought, you know, she was just a little girl wrestling with the pain in her life, and she came to the wrong conclusion 
And she carried that burden 80 years. A burden she never even needed to carry. Sometimes coming to the wrong conclusion can really mess up our lives in really terrible ways. We got to watch out for the temptation to come to the, uh, the wrong conclusion or a conclusion like this. God doesn't exist. It's been really painful. Sometimes that pain can wonder, how can a good God be allowing this to happen in my life? I'm just telling you, that's the wrong, if the, the idea God doesn't exist, maybe he doesn't exist, that's the wrong conclusion. And if we are, gonna, are going to kind of dig our feet in there, it is going to lead down a path. I'm telling you, it's going to lead down a dark path into a hopeless existence, and that is not a life that you are going to enjoy. We got to watch out for coming to the wrong conclusion or conclusions like this. Maybe I am asking the wrong way. Sometimes we're asking God for help in an area of our lives, and, and we think, you know what? Why hasn't he answered? Maybe I'm doing something wrong with my prayers. Maybe if I get on my knees, then I can get through to him. You ever wonder that? Maybe I, maybe I need to get on my knees, and then I'll get through to him. Maybe, maybe I need to pray more passionately, and then I'll get through to him. Maybe I need to pray more often. Maybe, maybe, that's, maybe if I try this one thing or try this thing, then I'll finally get through to God, and he'll finally answer my prayer and remove this pain from my life. It's the wrong conclusion. You're not praying the wrong way. God hears every single word you have prayed. Every single word. He knows it all. And he cares about it. And praying a different way is not going to get you any closer to that answer. You know, you, you wonder, if, if, is, he, is there something wrong with my prayers? The only type of prayer that God does not accept is an arrogant prayer. When we come to him, we say, God, why, why won't you do this? You ought to do this. That, that sort of thing. God, God rejects prayers that are arrogant. But when you are in deep pain, you don't have to worry about that because people who are in deep pain pray desperate, sincere prayers. And he hears every single word. He heard you the first time. He heard you the second time. He heard you the 73rd time. He's got them all laid out. He has every single word memorized. He knows what your request is, and he hears your prayers, and he cares that you have waited so long. Sometimes we get tempted to doubt that maybe God doesn't care. But he does. You know, we say, well, why is it? It's been so long. Maybe that's... Maybe that's a sign he just doesn't care anymore. Maybe I've sinned too bad and, and God doesn't love me anymore. That's not true. It's the wrong conclusion. Parents, have you ever caused your, your children to go through pain because you love them? Have you ever taken your child to the doctor to get a shot because you love them? Have you ever spanked your child because you loved them? Have you ever taken away a toy because you loved them? Just because we're going through pain does not mean that God does not care. He absolutely cares. And so what we need is a shift. And that shift is not going to happen when we get the answer to our why question. That's what I want to clarify here. We, we want that answer because it's going to clarify the confusion for us. We, we want to kind of grab onto anything we can get. Our friends want to give it. And I want to caution you against grabbing onto an answer. I want to caution you against uh, your well-meaning friends who are going to try to give you an answer because they care about your confusion and they want to help you. But, but the only person who can give you an answer to the question of why is God. And so often he does not give us the answer to that question. He's there in the midst of it, with us in our pain, but he doesn't give us the answer. 
And we have general answers in the Scripture, and we, and, and we should use those and, and value those and, and reflect on those. We, we, God tells us that we live in a broken world, that we're broken people ourselves, and, and that we hurt ourselves, and other people hurt us, and it's just a big mess. And that's part of the reason we experience pain in this life. But we still wonder, well, okay, but, but why is God letting me experience this pain now? We don't know why. Well, Asaph experiences a shift in his, his song that he gives us, and, uh, and he tells it to us. He's crying out to God, he's, he's pouring his heart out to God, and he's asking for relief. He's, he's asking the questions, why? He's even drawn some wrong conclusions. Take a look at this wrong conclusion that he drew. He said, and this is my fate, the Most High has turned his hand against me. Asaph drew a wrong conclusion. He said, God's my enemy, this is my lot in life. He did it. It's understandable. We get, we get there sometimes. But then something changed, and here's what changed for Asaph. Take a look at this verse. He said, but then I recall all you have done, O Lord. I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. I remember the time, God, when you rescued me, and I didn't think you would. I remember the pain of the past and how I don't experience that anymore. And he, he has this hope. As he reflects on those God stories, God changes him. And so that's what we need to do. We need to remember the God stories. Would you say this with me? Remember the God stories. Sometimes when pain comes into our lives, it causes us to doubt the goodness of God. And we need those stories of real life change that we have experienced, that our friends have experienced, to strengthen our faith so that we will not believe these doubts that come up. It's natural to have the doubts, but we get rooted in what is true, the God He has been in the past and that He will be in the future. It strengthens us. My mind goes back to the God stories in my life. I remember the days when I was a teenager, before I was following Jesus, and I remember the despair I lived in, the hopeless existence, always hoping that this next thing that I was pursuing was going to bring satisfaction, looking for satisfaction in the things of this world, but everything kept up, coming up empty. Never found the satisfaction I was looking for, but then God came in, He gave me new life and real purpose. I, I go back there, and I remember the despair of those days. He brought me out of that, the loneliness of those. He brought me out of that. I go back to my, my young 20s when I was in college, and I, I was severely depressed. I was on medication, and I was getting more depressed. And I, I was just wrestling with wondering what is going on, and I prayed for God to remove it. And I was doing everything I could to, to climb my way out of depression, and, and it was still there. Things were getting worse. I kept praying, I kept praying asking God to remove it, and it took a while, but He brought me out of it. He rescued me, and I've never had to walk that road again. And I remember that He did it. He can do it again then. He can do it again in my life. He can do it again in your life. He did it. His power. What are the stories in your life that you need to be remembering of what, what He brought you from, how He was incredible in your life? Remember those stories, hold on to them, and reflect on those stories. 
And we got, the, we, got, we got our stories and we got the stories of the Bible. In the, the, in the Bible, we have the stories of the Israelites in Egypt and slaves enslaved in Egypt being whipped and beaten. And, and God came in and he rescued them with a strong power and brought them out of the land of Egypt. We have the disciples who, who watched as their master, Jesus, was, was killed and they knew he was dead and their movement was over, but then Jesus rose out of the grave. We have the story of the early church, and persecution came in. They were killing Christians, they were jailing Christians, and they thought, maybe this is where our movement dies. This persecution is so rough, and everybody is having to leave the city of Jerusalem. They're leaving their jobs, their lives, and they're having to leave the place, and they're wondering, why is God doing this? And then we see, as, as the, the Jesus movement turned into a one-city movement, and as, they, as these people left the city out of fear of the persecution. They told everyone they knew about Jesus as they went out, and the, the one-city movement became an international movement overnight. We see these miracles of God, and we can believe that He'll do the same thing in our lives. And we got to reflect on these. When Asaph says, when he says, he's, I'm looking back on these God stories, he says, I was thinking about them all the time. And when he was thinking about them all the time, he had a realization, and this was it. Um, well, let's, oh, I think we don't, we don't have that slide, do we? Uh, it, it's, it's, he had a realization. It was this. Realize, he realized that God's ways were different. And this is the verse. Take, take a look at this. He said, God, your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. He realizes God's different. Now, it says, God, your ways, he says, God, your ways are holy. And when he, that, that word holy there, um, oftentimes we think of holy and we think pure, right? Um, but that's actually not what holy means. Um, when we go to the Bible and we're talking about holiness, we, we are taking two concepts. We're talk, taking the concept of purity. It is, does mean pure, but it also means different. Different. It's a good sort of different. And so if we want to understand holiness as it's talked about in the Bible, we need to take those two concepts pure and different, and put them together, and then we're getting close to what the Bible means when it talks about holiness. And so when he says, God, your ways are holy, he's saying, man, God, you are different. You are different and pure and wonderful in a way I don't even understand. And so, and so he, he is, he is he's looking in at that holiness, and he's having a realization. We need to realize that God operates differently than we do. I mean, if it were up to me... If it were up to me, I'd fix my problems right away. <laughs> I'd fix your problems. I'd fix everybody's problems. And you know what? I'd probably cause a lot more problems. Um, but you know, so, but I, I, I would fix them right away. If somebody had to go through pain, I would tell them why. I would say, well, you've you got to go through pain because you need to develop some discipline in your life. Um, you're going to have a better family life as a result of this. You're going to be more compassionate to other people as a result of this. And uh, you're, going to, um, you're going to love your kids more. You're going to have a better life. And there's this character issue that, that's a problem in your life. And this is going to help you work through that and become a person of better character. And I'd probably have a lot less friends. <laughs> We need to have some realizations about how different God is. He doesn't operate that way. He doesn't operate like us. He's got his reasons. We don't know what they are, but he's different. We need to realize this, this about God. God has limitless power. He has limitless power. 
We, we look at our, our situation and we feel like, God, how can you overcome this? How can you, over, how can you overcome this problem in my marriage? It seems impossible. You know, we, how can you heal this, this situation in my body? We believe, oh, God, I know you can do little things. I know that. But this, this one maybe is a little too big for God. No, we've come to the wrong conclusion. He has limitless power. And when we reflect on the stories, we remember that. We also realize this about God. God always has a plan. We're wondering, why is God letting this happen to us? Maybe something has gone off the rails wrong. Maybe this is, it got too messed up and God has to just leave it alone. No, no, no. He always has a plan. And we sometimes, we need, we reflect and we realize, you know what? I didn't think God cared, but he always cares. I realize it now. I look back on those days of pain and I remember he was with me. He was helping me in the midst of my pain. Those realizations, they change us and help us. What we need is a God story. And Asaf wrote one into his song. He had a God story that helped his life, and this is it. The Israelites were in Egypt. It was 4,000 years ago, and they were working for Pharaoh, building Pharaoh's buildings. And they were having to make bricks and all, all sorts of stuff for these buildings. And they were being whipped and beaten into submission. They were slaved away in Egypt, and they cried out to God in their distress. And they said, God, save us, rescue us. Why do we have to be slaves? And they prayed for years and years. And they thought God had forgotten them. They were oppressed in their hearts. And then God sent Moses down into Egypt, and he brought them out. God forced Pharaoh's hand with these incredible miracles that we read about. Pharaoh was the most powerful man in the world. Egypt had the largest army in the world at that time. They were the richest nation. They had everything, and God forced his hand, and he brought the, the Israelites out. And so the Israelites are coming out one day. They're, they're heading out into the desert, and they got no plan. They have no idea where they're going. They're just following God, and they get out into the desert, and they're, they're heading this one direction, and then all of a sudden God says, hey, I want you to turn around and go this other way. And so they do, and he gives them some very specific instructions. Take a look at what he says. He says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Haharioth between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite baal Zephon. Look at how specific that is. Camp near Pi-Haharioth between Migdal and the sea to encamp directly next to the sea, directly opposite baal Zephon. Super specific. And what we, what we get a feel for with the geography of the area is that there's like a little bit of a mountain range, and then there's the sea. And so he's telling them to camp like in this little alcove between the mountain and the sea, between Migdal and the sea. And he wants them to camp right next to the sea, opposite Baal Zephon. Maybe it's like an island or something on the other side of the sea. But they're supposed to encamp like right opposite to it. Very specific. Well, they camp up, and they're there camped out for a few days, and, uh, and they got somebody up on the mountain keeping watch. And all of a sudden, there's a shout. They say, he says, there's somebody coming. And everybody climbs up the mountain to go see what's going on. They look out on the horizon, and there's dust rising up off of the desert floor. And they can see out in the distance 
the Egyptian army, the most powerful army in the world, is bearing down on them. And they've got chariots. And, and you have to understand, these Israelites, they got their women, they got their children, they got their animals. They are stuck in this alcove. They cannot run away. And even if they could, they're not going to unru- unrun those chariots. And because they're stuck, they can't even like kind of scatter. They are stuck, and the Egyptians are going to be there in moments because they're on chariots. And so they freak out. <laughs> they freak out. And here's what, here's what they say. They say to Moses, Moses, what have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. And they're freaking out, and Moses is freaking out, and they're just a mess. They're just stuck. And then God says to Moses, Moses, take that staff I gave you and stretch out your hand over the sea. Moses did it, and all of a sudden, the wind began to blow, and the wind blew harder and harder, and the, the, the sea began to crash against itself. The waves are crashing all around, tumultuous waters crashing all around, and then the Israelites look out, and they see, and they watch as the sea parts in two, and there before their eyes, there is a pathway through the sea that they didn't know that was there. It was under the water. Nobody could see it, but it's right there, right opposite where they camped. And they, Moses says, go, and they take off running, running through the sea, and they get to the other side. Now, here's the thing. The, the Egyptians had already gotten there, but the Egyptians said, we got them trapped. We're just going to set up camp. It was nighttime, and so they said, we'll just set up camp for the night. Um, they ain't going anywhere, and we'll just arrest them all in the morning, and we'll have our slaves back. Well, they're crossing the sea, and people are getting across the sea, and the Egyptians realize what's happening. And so they get back in their chariots, they get everything rolling, and they start chasing after the Israelites into the sea. They're traveling into the path of the sea. And then, as the last Israelite gets up on the shore, at just the right moment, the wind stops blowing, and the waves crash in on Pharaoh and his armies, and they are drowned in the sea. And the Israelites are standing there, the sun is rising, and they know that they are looking at a brand new life. They are finally, truly free. And Asaph, when we we look at this, we can see those same principles. God has limitless power. He had a plan all along. He knew where that pathway was in the sea. And he cared for them all the time. He cared for them when they were in Egypt, and he was going to care for them all the way in their journey through the desert. Now, Asaf makes a really interesting observation here in the passage, and I want, I want to capture it and take a look at it for just a brief moment. He says this. I think it has a double meaning. You, you see what you think. He said, your road, he's talking to God, God, your road led through the sea, your pathway through the mighty waters, a pathway that no one knew was there. Your road led through the waters. Sometimes in life, the road that God wants to lead us on is going to take us through the waters of trouble. It's on purpose. Sometimes we are going through trouble and we do not think that there is a solution to our problem, but God has a path that he has laid. There's a path that he knows is there. You you don't see any solution to this, but there's a pathway that he has already planted there. 
ready for you to take, but it's through the waters. And if we can trust God, that He is still the good God that He has been in the past, if we can trust Him, if we can do what He says and camp ourselves right where He tells us to camp ourselves, whatever that is for you in life, doing right exactly what He told you to do, And if we can boldly walk through the waters, even though it's this storm of waters on the left and right, and it's a little scary, if we can walk through and get to the other side, I think we will one day get to that other side, and we will look back, and we will say, wow, God, you have been good. And we will praise him. Would you stand? (laughs) 